Hello and welcome to the Hinterviews podcast with Peter Hinton, produced by the National Arts Center English Theater and coming to you from the Panorama Room at the National Arts Center in Ottawa. I'm Sean Fitzpatrick. Welcome to the sixth interview of the NAC English Theatre's 2010-11 season. In each episode, we will take you into the intimate world of the artists and creative minds behind productions on stage at the National Arts Centre English Theatre. In them, Artistic Director Peter Hinton chats with a guest artist associated with the production. In this interview podcast, Peter speaks with St. Carmen of the Main translator Linda Gaborio about the new translation, working with Michelle Tremblay, what goes into translating a play, and the creative process of this production. St. Carmen of the Main played at the NAC Theatre March 16th to April 2nd. For more information about the NAC English Theatre's presentation of St. Carmen of the Main, please visit www.nac-cna.ca. Click on English Theatre. And now, here are Peter Hinton and Linda Gaborio. I am Peter Hinton, the Artistic Director of English Theatre here at Canada's National Arts Centre, and welcome to the Hinterview. Uh, before I invite you to join me in welcoming today's guest, I'm going to tell you something a little bit about her. Our guest today is the translator of St. Carmen of the Main, Linda Gaborio. Now, you have probably uh, heard Linda's work and seen her work. Here at the NAC, she translated The Coronation Voyage by Michel-Marc Bouchard, Written on Water, also by Michel-Marc, Scorched, Wajdi Moad's play Incendie, that we all know just uh, has had great success, the film. Uh, and Scorch was also produced in Philadelphia and Chicago. And with Michel Tremblay. This is a relationship. She's been translating Michel Tremblay's work for over 10 years now. And here at the NAC, you might remember, for the pleasure of seeing her again. Uh, most recently, the Stratford Shakespeare Festival produced for the pleasure of seeing her again. Linda has translated a hundred plays, including the works of mm. Quebec's most prominent playwrights, her translations of plays by Michel Marc, Bouchard, René Daniel Dubois, Normand Chorette, Daniel Denis, Michel Gano, Gratien Gélinas, Jovette Margesso, Wajdi Moad, and Michel Tremblay have been produced and published across Canada and around the world and have garnered her numerous awards. Upcoming is the premiere of her translation of Forests by Wajdi Mowat. She has twice won the Governor General's Awards for Literary Translation in 1996 for a translation of Stone and Ashes by Danielle Denis, and in 2010, this fall, for her translation of Forests by Wajdi Mowat. From 2002 to 7, she was the founding director of the Banff International Literary Translation Center. And Linda has also worked as a freelance journalist and broadcaster. Please join me in welcoming Linda Gaborio. Okay, I'm going to start with a very uh, big and uh, hard question. Uh, 
translating from one language to another, from one culture to another, what, what, is, what do you see your job is? How do you see what you do as a translator? Are you faithful to the writer's voice, to the culture, to the language? How do you do what you do? Yeah. And I, I have a bit of advice because I've worked with Linda several times. So I'm always so interested when we do work together with how you do that. How do you see your, your art? Well, I guess the bottom line, and it's very personal, there are as many approaches perhaps to literary translation as there are literary translators. So there are a couple of schools at least, but ultimately... I see my work as, um, I see the writers in our country as the kind of voices in the wilderness, sometimes prophets, sometimes <laughs> critics of our society, and very, very brave voices that I try to capture the individual voice. So the short answer to your question is, my first allegiance would be to the individual writer. Uh -huh. And some of the names you mentioned of uh, playwrights, I, I occasionally translate novels and short uh -huh. stories and essays as well, but the playwrights you mentioned cover within Francophone culture a multitude of variations on sure. the theme. Michel Tremblay needs no introduction. He's a writer who brought to the stage the East End of Montreal, the working class, lower middle class, plateau area of Montreal. Um, and that's one vernacular and one subculture within Quebec culture that needed to be rendered. Mm -hmm. Daniel Danis and Michel Marc Bouchard come from the Lac Saint-Jean-Saguenay, region of Quebec. Very different. Very few people speak English more and more, of course, now, but when uh, some of those first plays were written and the world they tend to visit mm. is an almost exclusively French-speaking world mm. there. So you don't have the challenges of Joao, as they have nicknamed Michel's Québécois, Michel Tremblay's Québécois, which imports words from English. You don't have that from Lac Saint-Jean. And then Wajdi Mouawad mm. was born in the Middle East, had a few years of schooling in France, and then became the theater person we know here in Canada, in Quebec. So that's a whole other variation on the language he writes. Sure, so. and then throw in Normand Charette, and you've got a whole other... Completely and different Charette, dramaturgy. And Peter did a wonderful production of uh, Normand's play, The Queens, which puts front and center the women from Richard the, the Third, who are just either mentioned or sort of lurk in the corridors <laughs> of the castles. You know? And uh, that, uh, he is a writer who speaks a very personal brand of what one might call mid-Atlantic French or something. It's a very proper French, uh -huh. but very charrette French and very poetic. When I work with Normand, sometimes I'll ask him, why did you choose this word? I mean, it's not <laughs> exactly the usual meaning that, uh, where you have placed it in this context. And he said, oh, 
oh, la musique, la musique, you know. <laughs> He's a fabulous uh, musician and uh, music lover. So basically, and I think sometimes you, depending upon the mm. play, sometimes take this approach with actors at a certain moment in rehearsal. I don't know, but I'm assuming yeah. that it might happen occasionally, where basically you say to them, play the words. Um. Well, on a certain level, you know, not mm -hmm. necessarily the subtext and not uh, where it's going to end up or anything, play those words in that line, in that speech. Well, ultimately, to translate the individual voice of these writers, mm. I translate the words. But you have to identify how this writer uses that word in a perhaps idiosyncratic way, or perhaps really because he loves the musicality of that word. So you play the word, but the subtext is not necessarily um, exact meaning, which is usually more or less easy to, and worst case scenario, you open a dictionary. But it's also the writer's relationship with that word. Two word, yes. So. Could you tell us something about your relationship to Michel Tremblay? Um, because uh, not only have you been translating his work for over 10 years, you've known him a very long time. We've known each other for um, 40 years. And we first worked together on an amazing, which is quite close to St. Carmen of the Maine, uh, an amazing film that the National Film Board did 40 years ago called Black, Backyard Theatre. And a Quebec filmmaker, Jean-Pierre Lefebvre, had this idea that he would create a kind of improv happening on Fabre Street, which is where Michel grew up in the plateau area of Montreal. And we rented the ground floor of a I was uh, Lefebvre's uh, assistant, assistant to the director of the, this short film. And we rented the ground floor to hold this birthday party for the author. And the author came with his longtime <laughs> collaborator, André Brassard, whom I'm sure you remember from his work here at the French Theatre at the National uh, Art Center, and he he directed the first productions for some 25, 30 years of all of Michel's plays. So André and Michel, the writer and the director, were invited to this house to m for their b Michel's birthday party, and characters from the main and characters <laughs> from the neighborhood came to wish him a happy birthday. And these two worlds collide in the film, and it mm. ends up with the transvestites from the main <laughs> hitting the housewives from the plateau over the head with it. And the very last image is Michel and André in the backyard sitting on one of those porch swings, and the women have flounced down the back alleyway, and there is Tremblay contemplating the worlds that he uh has created that are so very different in some of his plays. And that was our first meeting. In fact, I was pregnant with my daughter, so that's how I, who turned 39 two days ago, so that's how I know exactly when it was. You know. 
Wow. <clears throat> and, and okay, you mentioned joie. And, uh, you know, it has been said many times that joie is untranslatable. Mm-hmm. And I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I would it, concur. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it is a lot. Why, why? Can you talk a bit about that to our, our guest today? Like, well, it's, it is, I think, for... Um, it's not untranslatable. It is untranslatable for North American English language productions. Because it is so clearly identified with a place. It has uh-huh. roots in a community. And when you hear these women in Les Belles for instance, speaking, you know that you're in the East End of Montreal. You have a sense of the class, of the circumstances of their lives, and it's Montreal. It's not the East End of Paris, it's... Yeah. There are, and perhaps some of you saw it because it did tour briefly about 10 years ago, there, have been, there is one amazing translation of Les Belles Sœurs, and it's the Scots translation, the Gid Sisters. And what those two translators did is they kept the play set in Montreal, and all the characters are still uh, Germaine Lauzon and company, but um, they speak working-class Glaswegian, which compared (laughs) to UK so-called standard English is as unusual in its accent, as colorful, and as clearly Mm. identified with place. So that is what is lost in the North American translations of Joao. I have often said, and Michelle and I have discussed it, you know, if the occasion presented itself, I'd love to work with an African-American playwright on an adaptation of Les Belles Sœurs. But that would be for an African-American production mm, mm. in New York or in Chicago. Or so. But for me to work on that and then have it performed by a predominantly white cast in Toronto <laughs> or something. Uh, it's just, uh, yeah. you know, it, so we do not have here in Canada the closest, and I do, I have a secret project that I can't talk about, but I, oh. <laughs> I can give you, you heard a, it here I first. can give you a broad hint that um, I'm, <laughs> I'm playing with a couple of scenes of a play by Michelle with a playwright from Newfoundland. That Um. might be the closest thing. But what this playwright and I will be dealing with is we too feel that, and this is where your production of St. Carmen is so extraordinary, Peter, but both the playwright and I feel that it is important to keep Michel Tremblay's work set in Quebec because he did something remarkable. He did for Canada uh, something, Chekhov, we see Chekhov plays, and we identify with those characters. And the fact that, in fact, when they are really speaking to each other, they're speaking Russian, of course, but we're listening to them in English, and we see the universality of their lives and their dilemmas. Well, Michel did that for working-class Montreal, the Québécois 
an you know, a minority culture within a culture within a continent. Mm -hmm. It's a remarkable well, achievement. Well, it's the history of theater from the late 19th century on, when you think, you know, Henrik Ibsen, the so-called father of modern drama, poor guy has to wear that moniker, mm. um, his plays, when they were first done, had to be performed in Danish because that was the ruling class of their, what he couldn't do his plays in his own language of Norwegian. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that history carries through right, right to the present, eh? And that's why it's important to leave it within that uh -huh. context of a writer who brings a community to the stage and to the world. So if we do that, but we want more color. It can't be so clearly Newfoundland that we think that the play is taking place in St. John's. Why aren't they referring to St. John's? And, uh, yeah, yeah. So you get the picture. Mm -hmm. I, I often, mm -hmm. when describing, I only realize this now after many years working uh, on drama translations, but I realize that I often use circus imagery for what we do, and it is a tightrope walk. You know, you're trying to be true to the original, give a sense in the language of the translation mm -hmm. of the degree of color and so on. And uh, it's a fine line. To be we, we, there was such a, I can't tell you what a fascinating process it is because more often than not, by the time you come into directing a play, the, the play exists, the translation's there except when you're doing a premiere. And uh, I see Paula Dankert has joined us at the back, who's our artistic associate and company dramaturg. And we had this spectacular week with Linda at a summer place she has, where we were able to sit down with the original play in French and Linda's draft of the translation and go through it word by word to find what's the right way to bring it to you. So how do you hear it? And, and I, I wanted to um, add to this conversation a bit, uh, the idea of, is it when you're, when you're translating a premiere or the first translation and the play was written maybe two years ago is one thing. Here's a play that was written in 1976. And I know many of our conversations that we had about the translation, what did the, how would this have been heard in 1976 to how is it heard now? Yeah. And so there's a, another challenge thrown in the mix there of what is it about translating a revival? And Michel said to me, he said, you know, if you do this play, I want a new translation. I don't want you to set it in Montreal in 1976 and make it nostalgic. Of, oh, that's what it was back then. He, he was interested mm -hmm. in what it said to mm -hmm. us today. And that made this translation for this production mm. of one of Michel's plays different yeah. from the usual challenge because the usual challenge is that other tightrope walk I just mentioned of trying to give a sense of color, a sense of classic, a sense of background, a sense of community, but keeping it in Montreal. But here, and that was something I did, uh, my translation of Albertine uh -huh. for the, in five times for the Shaw Festival three or four years ago. And that was uh -huh. the challenge there. But here, when Peter and Paula and I worked last August on defining the 
degree of, it's Michel's world, his characters, his language, but it is the contemporary production, the contemporary interpretation that personally I think is extraordinary. I think for Mm. those of you who are about to see the production, I think that what Peter has done is really, really remarkable. And um, it gives a contemporary resonance to this play that is Hmm. that underscores the fact that it is one of Michel's most important plays Hmm. Um, and was often associated only with the aspirations of separatism in 76. So the characters then were seen as Québécois aspiring to their own identity, their own voice. Now, I mean, one cannot help but think of what is happening in North Africa and the Middle East. These aspirations for a voice and for having a word to say about the lives and the respect in the society people live in and so on. You have brought that universal and contemporary applicability of Mm. the play to life. So my challenge as a translator was slightly different. It was a different tightrope walk. It was finding how it can remain Michel Tremblay's work. And we keep it on the main, but opening it up with a kind of contemporary resonance as well, so that that interpretation that you have worked on with your cast mm-hmm. holds together and works. Because it's interesting how the job of translation changes and, and evolves with a playwright, with time, with history. Because, you know, when these plays of Michel's that were written in the 70s were first translated, the tradition was in English to do them with Quebecois accents, to include expressions in Joal in the play... And I think that was important at that time, mm-hmm. that English Canadians know the story of Quebec and, and know that. That's and right. it's, uh, it's, it's different now when we do revisit those plays 30 years later, eh? It is, and I, I think that you're quite right, Peter, that that was a very interesting and almost political, or perhaps out-and-out political choice on the part of Michel's first mm-hmm. translators. Uh, um, they wanted people to recognize the presence within Canada of what we now call a distinct society. Um, And that was one way of doing it through the translations, you know, keeping other, uh, another, but on the other hand, it perhaps made it more difficult for some of Michel's plays to travel outside of Canada. Yes, can you talk about that, about like some of the, the titles of his plays uh, in the well, 70s the weren't translated were at all. The left in French, I think, yeah. perhaps was a handicap within the English-speaking world. Yeah. The other far, he's been translated into 38 languages, and no <laughs> one ever felt the need to do this, uh, uh, keep some joie or keep the titles or play. And do we ever hear Chekhov played with a Russian accent? <laughs> no, you know. But within yeah. Canada at the time, that had meaning, mm. that had significance. Uh, so it was an yeah. interesting and, I think, well-thought-out choice at the time. 
but we have since, uh, you know, as many of you probably know, in France this is, there was for some 25 years a literary show on television called Apostrophe Bernard Pivot. And he established at one point the drama library of all times, that anyone hmm. who was interested in drama had to have these 50 titles going by, right back to the Greeks. And Les Belles Sœurs is on that list of 50 plays of all times, all cultures, wow, and so wow. on. So that universality of Michel's work has been recognized now through mm. 38 languages and cultures yes. and so on. And that's, that was very interesting for me to play with those uh -huh. two, uh, you know, the two pivotal points were between the real identity of his world, where it was born, and the universality for this production. Uh -huh. And that was um, a lot of fun. To just before with. I open up uh, our audience to ask some questions, uh, I just wanted, uh, before, we, when we began this process, Linda said, oh, I'm quite excited because I've translated so many of Michelle's plays uh, set on Rufab, the, the women there. And this was your first go at the other side of the, the tracks, of the main. Mm -hmm. How was that? Because uh, you, you encounter a whole other side of... Well, it was a lot of fun. I mean, and of <laughs> course, it's so, such a colorful world, <laughs> as you will see, as soon as the curtain goes up. And um, it's... Uh, uh, there was... We, we, we don't care about reviews, and, but there was one nice... Thing that was said that this, the, at one thing, we care, but we hate them, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but we pretend not to care. But I must say I was pleased that one critic said something like a salty new translation. And I thought, okay, salty is probably, given what <laughs> is lost in translation with Michel Tremblay's work, as close to saying that there was something colorful, you know, something yeah. about, and of course, a lot of that was able, I was able to go for mm. in the characters from the main. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's what made it so much fun. You know. Right on. Uh, I'm wondering if any of you have questions for the salty Linda Gaborio <laughs> <laughs> about either St. Carmen or about Michelle or about the process of translation itself. Don't be shy. Yeah. So the question is, uh, what are the specific challenges of taking on the Joal and Michel Tremblay, I guess? How do you deal with that? Again, um, I think it's play-by-play play and um, production-by-production production when you have the rare opportunity to work with the director who has a vision for his production. Then the translator can adjust and we can sort of... Yeah make us set our sights together. But for instance, I translated For the Pleasure of Seeing Her Again, which is the two-hander where Michel um, pays tribute to his mother. And 
what I did in that one, but it kind of happened intuitively. I was born in Boston, and one side of my family is Irish, and I sort of plugged into a kind of Irish gift of gab, which was, you know, so colorful, yes, but also a love of language. And Michelle and I are exactly the same age, so I could imagine the women I heard speaking in my life, my mother, my grandmother, and so mm. on, in English, in Boston, were absolute contemporaries of Nana, um, mm. Michelle's mother. So I kind of, for that one, plugged into that. So the colorfulness of Joal, which is sometimes, it has some very antiquated... Uh, Joal is not only importing English words and sometimes slipping into a more English syntax than proper French, which you usually have, so-called proper French as we learn it in school and so on. Because any language that is spoken by six, uh, six million people is a proper language in itself. But you understand what I mean when I say, you know, standard proper French. So it, it depends upon how you stray from that. And in that case, some of the color was the old-fashioned, you know, I don't hear anyone say things like, this is not that rare, but my mother always said, you know, she talked, like, she talked a blue streak. You know, so little expressions like that, that are colorful and of a generation, were one way of rendering Michelle's mother as he portrayed her in For the Pleasure, uh, in English, going back to colorful expressions from a real spoken English from a place. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Linda mentioned that she, trans she has translated many plays for Michelle Tromley. Uh, did you specialize in French at university? Did you specialize in Great. English? And is there another, do you translate in any other language? I know you mentioned Irish and all this other background, but mm -hmm. as, a, as a professional, do you translate in any other language? So the question is, does Linda translate into any other languages? And uh, did she come to translation through studying French? English, how did you train to get here? I translate very occasionally from Spanish, but mostly, almost exclusively from French. And I came to Canada to go to McGill University to do an, a BA and an MA in French literature. Uh, and I took one course in translation and the, the woman was like a bag lady. She was, I guess, I don't know. You know, at the time, she seemed ancient to me. She was probably... Fifty. My age, you know. But, and she'd come into class with her with shopping bags, Mademoiselle Reverchon. She was from France, and we spent the whole semester translating line by line the summing up by Somerset Mom into French. And had you asked me at the end of that year whether I would ever consider translation, <laughs> <laughs> the answer would have been clear. Uh, I fell into it through uh, journalism, and I did um, especially radio journalism for Radio-Canada and CBC Radio, 
there was a very uh, a nationwide uh, weekly show called Quebec Now around 1970 when the events um, in Quebec became front page news and of great concern across the country people wanted to know what's going on in Quebec mm. now and um, I was responsible primarily for the cultural segment of that show mm. and then I was theatre critic for the Montreal Gazette and people knew oh, that I, I had by force of circumstance mm. I, I married a Quebecois um, I was very involved in the French community, but I worked in the English media. People knew that I was bilingual and in the art scene. And uh, the first uh, play I was asked to translate was an international women's year. It was a play called La Nef des Sorcières, which was written by six uh, women, mm. including Marie-Claire Blais, who doesn't usually write for the stage, but does occasionally. So it was that kind of, you know, one thing led to another within the art and theater scene. But I do have a background in French literature. Wow. Well, okay, we can take one last quick question here and then we'll... For, for both of you, uh, Peter, your reference in the, your preliminary notes to uh, Greek tragedy as, mm -hmm. as a parallel and, and specifically about Agamemnon. Uh, Linda, does this kind of comparison or some sort of root in, in Greek tragedy inform your translation of a work like this? So the question, does the Greek tragic theater that is influenced this play and production inform the translation? It uh, did in the sense that I realized that I was dealing with a form that Michel has used in a couple of other plays, including Les Balseurs, in a certain way. We're dealing with the chorus. We're dealing with people who are commenting on the tragic events in the, their world. Uh, so I knew that I had a responsibility to render dialogue that could be given, delivered effectively in choral work. By sometimes 15 people speaking all at the same time. Yeah. Right on. Well, and what's uh, fantastic in what Peter's done with the choral work, and it, made, it was gratifying for me as the producer of the English text, is that I think you'll see that the choral work is magnificent. And within this collective voice, many individual voices and identities stand out. And that's very gratifying, both theatrically and for right the on. translator. Uh, thank you. Well, we want you to get to the main to see these uh, salty types. <laughs> and uh, I want you to join me in thanking Linda for talking with us today. Thank you. Thank you. That's all for this edition of the Hinterview Podcast. Send us your comments and questions. You can reach us by sending an email to hinterviews at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. 
Don't forget you can subscribe to this and other NAC podcasts by visiting www.nac-cna.ca slash podcasts. There you will find our past episodes, subscription links, and instructions on how to subscribe. You can also easily find us as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Search on Hinterviews. If you would like to stay in touch with news and updates from the NAC English Theatre, sign up for a free e-bulletin by visiting www.nac-cna.ca slash email alerts. You can also find us on Facebook. Become a fan of the NAC English Theatre on Facebook by entering NAC English Theatre into the search bar. Until next time, this is Sean Fitzpatrick for Peter Hinton and Company saying goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa.